Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Our conversation with Craig leaves me spinning for a few reasons. First, he says he saw another man at the Nara's house the day of the murders. Second, Craig says that law enforcement treated him like a suspect in the case. And third, he claims that police made a big mistake when they released Hanu so quickly after questioning him. You know, they told me, oh, we can't find him. He's not answering his phone. They said that he already fleed America. He already hopped on planes. Hanu going back to India was a rumor that circulated throughout Mapleshade. Reporters at the time had a lot of questions about Hanu's movements. If he still had his passport, if he faced any travel restrictions. So we checked property records to try to track him down. Turns out he didn't move to India, but he did leave Mapleshade shortly after the murders, first moving to a home about 60 miles northeast in Piscataway, New Jersey. Then by the fall of 2017, he relocated across the country to Colorado. Hanu settled in the suburban town of Parker, Colorado, which is about 40 minutes from Denver. In 2020, he bought a house there. Hanu has ignored our many attempts to reach him. We've called, emailed, and messaged, and we haven't got a single response. So it's time to try face-to-face. Our reporter Betsy Shepard books a plane ticket and heads to Colorado. I touch down in Denver, grab my rental car, and make a beeline for Parker. There are a few hours of daylight left, and I want to catch a glimpse of Hanu's new home. Your destination is on the left. I slow the car to a crawl to try and read the addresses. Hanu lives in one of those big planned developments, where every house is a slight variation on the one next to it a collage of beige and white paint. The only unique flourishes come from flower beds and yard art. Hanu's house has none of this. There are no signs that someone lives there. It's not personalized. There are no decorations. I don't see any porch furniture or any decor. I park a few houses down from Hanu's so I can see his garage and front door. Everything is so clean. There's not one piece of litter on the sidewalks. Most cars are parked in driveways or garages, so even the streets seem tidy. And quiet. You can hear fallen leaves as they skitter down the street. My plan is to approach Hanu as he comes out of the house. But hours pass, and I see no signs of Hanu. Is it possible I missed him? Maybe he's out of town. I stay till 9 o'clock and then go check into my hotel. But the next morning, there's a glimmer of hope. I get an early start, about 5.30 a.m., and make the short drive back to Hanu's. The sun is just coming up. It's dark along the highway, but there are little sprinkles of lights here and there. Looks like maybe some office parks. There's really not a whole lot out here. 
when I make it to Hanu's, something is different. Okay, this is it. I'm parked out here, and there's a light on upstairs. It looks like someone is home. I'm Betsy Shepard. I'm Tinku Ray. And I'm Ben Adair. You're listening to Strangeland, Season 2, Murder in Maple Shade. Episode 14, Six Years Later. Suffering from aches and pains? The all-new Tempur-Pedic Adapt Mattress eases your pressure points all night, every night. Now, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets at TempurPedic.com. Select adjustable mattress sets only. Lesser savings may apply. It's after 7 and the sun is up. I can see a little bit more of Hanu's house. The original real estate listing for Hanu's house says it's a four-bedroom, four-bath home more than 4,000 square feet. It has stainless steel appliances, an abundance of granite, and a gourmet kitchen that, quote, wows. The home definitely seems like it was designed for a family. It's very spacious, and it would be a lot of space for one person. It's interesting to compare that to Hanu's life in Fox Meadow, where he lived in a one-bedroom apartment, 600 square feet, with his wife and child. While Betsy's sitting in the car, we're looking online to see what digital breadcrumbs Hanu's left around the internet. Looks like he's got a Pinterest account, which is mostly infographics on leadership and how to be a boss. We also find a profile that looks like it belongs to him on Goodreads, that site where users keep track of their reading list and review books. The reading choices line up with what we found on Hanu's other social media profiles, which often include self-help tips and inspirational posts. When we first find Hanu's Goodreads page, there are only a few titles listed. Two of them are from a series called Alpha Male, one subtitled, quote, The Seven Laws of Power, Mindset and Psychology of Success, Manipulation, persuasion, neurolinguistic programming secrets, analyze and influence anyone, hypnosis mastery, emotional intelligence, win as a real alpha man. Yeah, that's all part of the title. Here's a snippet from the book's first chapter, which talks about finding ways to control people without resorting to violence, which may be a tough lesson for some people to learn. Quote, Have you watched a movie where someone is being held at gunpoint or being threatened by a knife? This sort of power is known as coercive power, and it works by use of fear. But you can show coercive power without the use of a gun or a knife." A few weeks later, when we go back to recheck his Goodreads page, the alpha male books have been removed. We keep poking around to see what we can find out about Hanu's new job what hours he keeps, if he works from home or goes into the office. Okay, it's 9.38. Still no sign of Hanu, no movement in the house, and all of the blinds are closed, so I can't tell if he is there. 
maybe he left for the office before I got here. So I dig up Hanu's work number and start dialing. Sorry, Hanu Mantharaunera is not available. Record your message at the tone. No answer. But I'm able to pinpoint his worksite through the area code. It's tied to Englewood, a nearby town that's home to charter corporate offices. I make note of the address and return my attention to Hanu's house. It's 524. The sun is starting to set and he hasn't left the house yet. So just still camping out here, hoping that he'll run an errand or go to the gym or meet up with some friends. It's 7.01. I'm still parked in front of Hanu's house. and It's 8.07 and still no Hanu sightings, but I have... It's 9.01 and it's eerily quiet in Hanu's neighborhood. It seems like most of the residents... Around 10 o'clock, I head back to the hotel and I decide that tomorrow... No matter what, I'm done waiting. So before sunrise the next morning, I'm back on the road. The route to Hanu's has become routine at this point. But the fact that I haven't seen him leave the house even once in all the time I've been here, that strikes me as unusual. Although it does track with what we heard from Hanu's old neighbors at Fox Meadow, that the Naras kept a very low profile. Again, the morning passes unremarkably. Hanu's neighborhood slowly comes to life as families head to work and school. But still, no Hanu. By noon, I'm running out of patience. It's time to resort to plan B, which is to walk up onto Hanu's front porch, knock on his door, and see if he'll answer. I don't want it to be confrontational, of course, um, but there is always that possibility. All right, it's now or never. What Happens at Hanu's House is coming up next after the break. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at I knock and wait. Silence. I notice that Hanu has a ring, one of those doorbells with the built-in camera that you can access from anywhere. So I turn to that next. 
Still nothing. So he looks straight into the ring's camera and start talking. I'm not sure if Hanu can hear me, but it's worth a shot. Hi, Hanu. I'm a reporter. I'm with a team that's investigating what happened to your wife and son. And we've reached out to you several times, but we want to make sure that our message has gotten through to you. We would really love to speak to you to find out more about your family and what happened the night they were murdered. I'm going to leave my contact information here with you at the door. But then, right as I'm about to slide my handwritten note under the door, the door opens. Hi, is Hanu here? A woman is standing there, an Indian woman who looks to be in her 30s. She cracks the door just wide enough for me to see her. We're doing a story on what happened to his family, and mm-hmm. we're trying to get justice for Sasi and Anish, his wife and son. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to include his voice because some people have pointed the finger at him, and we are trying to make sure that he has an opportunity to tell us his side of the story. No, he's not there. He's not here? No. He's not here at no. the house. No. The woman backs away slowly as I talk. She looks surprised, or maybe shocked, by what I've just said about Hanu. Do you know how we can reach him? Mm. And how do you know Hanu? Yeah, he's like, he's, uh, I know, like, uh, we're in uh, different villages. Oh, okay. Are, so you're from Andhra Pradesh? Yeah. She's barefoot, wearing pajama pants and a t-shirt, with a simple gold band on her ring finger. She speaks in a gentle whisper and seems not entirely comfortable communicating in English. She reminds me of how neighbors describe Saucy, quiet and often wearing pajamas. Where is Hanu? Uh, he went to office. He went to the office? Yeah. So I hand the letter to the woman and ask her to give it to Hanu. It includes my contact info and a clear outline of what we'd like to speak about. I head straight from Hanu's home to the nearby Charter corporate office. It's a giant telecommunications firm, and according to online sources, Hanu's a director there, a move up the corporate ladder from his prior role as a senior associate at Comcast. His new office is boxy and nondescript. I open the door to the visitor entrance and head inside. Hello. Hi, is Hanu Nara in? Hanu Nara? Do you know how to spell the last name? Yeah, it's N-A-R-R-A. Is that it? Just N-A-R-R-A. Okay. What are you looking for? Hanu? Yes. Shows he's out of the office until the 11th. He's out of the office till the 11th. Okay, all right. Thank you so much for your help. Appreciate it. So Hanu was not at the office, after all. It seems like he's dodging us. But Why? In the end, we never get a chance to talk to Hanu face-to-face. But we now know, beyond any doubt, that Hanu has received our message. And his silence is its own kind of response. Hanu has elected not to participate in our investigation, not to share any memories of Sasi and Anish, and not to respond to allegations that he may somehow be involved in the murders of his wife and son. 
At this point, we don't know if anyone will ever be arrested for these murders. We're wondering why. So we review what we've learned about the case and consult a criminologist about the likelihood of charges ever being filed. I'm Wendy Regatsy. I have spent my entire career studying violent crime, uh, most specifically homicide, and um, most particularly within that topic, homicide investigations. Wendy Regatsy is the department chair for criminology and criminal justice at the University of South Carolina. She says the NAR case has strong pluses and minuses going for and against its solvability. So let's review it by category. First, the crime itself. A mother and child stabbed to death in their home. Wendy says that excessive violence, like the multiple slash wounds on Sassi and Anish, usually means the attacker is someone close to the victims. Intimate partner homicides are typically easier for police to solve than acquaintance and stranger homicides. Sassi and Anish were stabbed, which means their killer would have been in close proximity to them during the attack which increases the odds of forensic evidence being left behind, say DNA under the victim's fingernails or blood splatter getting on the perpetrator's clothing. The other reason why we see a higher likelihood of solvability with contact weapons is that um, we see those kinds of weapons tend to be used more in cases where the victim and the perpetrator know one another. Again, pointing to a known rather than anonymous perpetrator. Another plus for investigators is the location, inside the home. This means that the crime scene was contained with evidence that's easier to collect versus, say, outside on the street or in a park. We know from a Burlington County report that investigators confiscated a bunch of electronic evidence from the NARA's house. Cell phones, computers. But the prosecutor's office wouldn't respond to our questions about what else was collected at the crime scene. What forensic evidence? We do know that neighbors reported seeing Hanu putting a lot of stuff in the trash within days after the murders. Even the mattress where one witness, Crystal White, saw Anisha's body. I think it was like two days later, and they were just throwing everything out. They were just carpet, everything. They were just throwing everything out. They were putting all the stuff in the dumpster, the bed, everything. I was, it's mind-blowing. You got all the stuff outside the dumpster that has blood on it. All the little toys, it got blood on it. You know, I go to take my trash out and it's flies everywhere. While I'm taking my trash out and I see toys with blood on it from the crime scene, which shouldn't have been tampered with. Everything they put out was basically the kids and hers. So what did police collect as forensic evidence? What DNA did they find? What got tested? We don't know, but we do know it seems like there's a lot they didn't do. There were other mistakes made right from the beginning of this investigation, like the fact that Sassy's time of death was listed on her autopsy and death certificate as 3.30 p.m. But we know that Sassy was alive at 4.30 p.m. when she picked Anish up from school. So what does a mistake like this, made by a first responder at the start of an investigation, say about a crime solvability. Wendy says what detectives do in the first 48 hours is critical. There's this huge drop-off in the 
clearance curve that occurs um, after just a very short passage of time. With the evidence now long gone, Anara's apartment repainted for new tenants, this case rests pretty squarely on the witnesses. The cooperation of witnesses is still one of the strongest predictors of homicide case clearance. This case does have witnesses, people like Craig. I seen them the same day they died. I was the last person to see them walking in that unit. My soul was real bright, and that crushed me. But the overall demographics of Fox Meadow means there are probably a lot of witnesses who didn't come forward. And when you have situations of homicides occurring within an immigrant community um, where you have residents who maybe don't speak English, that can certainly impede communications with law enforcement and can also contribute to a culture of unwillingness to talk to the police. We encountered that a lot in our reporting. Many Fox Motor residents declined to talk to us saying they didn't speak English. Others said no thanks because they were afraid that speaking to us might jeopardize their visa status. And then there's that fear of retaliation, which Wendy says is especially common in high-crime areas with lots of residential turnover, both of which describe Fox Meadow apartments. When you have an unstable neighborhood, then residents may feel that they're going to be in harm's way if they share information uh, with police. That's why Craig said he didn't want to talk to police. And he's not the only one that told us that. You don't want to get involved in anything. You don't want to know anything. I try to stay inside uh, because you never know what's going to happen. A lot of people have that no snitch mentality or they get scared to say anything. Out of concern for their own safety, self-preservation, it's easier to say, no, I did not hear anything. I did not see anything. Finally, the factor that's probably the biggest minus for this case, and the part that's the most tragic. As far as we can tell, Sassy had few friends. She was isolated, with her family living far away. So there's really been no one advocating for her, pressuring investigators to solve the case, and speaking publicly to keep media attention on the unsolved murders. We know as both investigators and listeners of true crime podcasts, it's often a family member or close friend of the victim that keeps the detective work alive long after police have abandoned it. If you have a case that's high profile or you have families that are demanding justice and keeping um, stories about the homicide in the public domain, that can certainly exercise an impact on police practices or procedures. Wendy says that although there's few stats on this, anecdotal evidence shows that high-profile cases do attract more police resources. Sometimes through its influence on how, for example, the prosecutor's office or local political figures like city council members or the mayor and the kind of pressure that they might exert on law enforcement agencies to be able to solve that crime. When homicide cases do get traction after years of dormancy, Wendy says it's usually the result of a new tip. So next, we call up the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office to share all the information we've uncovered during our reporting in the hope that maybe we found something they overlooked. 
That's coming up after the break. Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself. What would kids do? Let childhood rule your family vacation. Start planning your trip to the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. After nearly a year of reporting this story, it's time to call the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office one final time. The lawsuit we'd filed against them for violating New Jersey's Open Public Records Act did get us the autopsy reports, but little else. And besides the one sit-down meeting they had with us to read those old, outdated press releases, they've provided us with no information about the case. This whole time, they've been claiming this is an open and active investigation and using that as a reason to keep any and all information they've collected under lock and key. Burlington County Prosecutor's Office, please leave your name and a message and I'll return your call. Thank you. Predictably enough, they don't answer my call. So I go to the source and reach out to lead detective Brian Cunningham. You've reached Detective Sergeant Brian Cunningham of the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office. I'm currently out and returning. He doesn't pick up either. I leave both the same message. Hi there. This is uh, Tinku Ray calling. You may remember me as the, one of the journalists who's been looking into the murders of Sashikala and Anish Nara. We are wrapping up our investigation and have found what we believe to be new leads in the case. And we would really appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you and go over them. Please give me a call back as soon as possible. would really appreciate that. They don't schedule a meeting with us, which, based on our experience, shouldn't surprise us. Yet somehow, it still does. Because if the NARA case is in fact active, like they say, it seems like they'd be eager to hear about leads we've turned up during our investigation. After all, it's now been six years since Sassi and Anish were killed. The case is still unsolved. But after our year of researching their deaths, interviewing witnesses, and reviewing public documents, we have a better understanding of why. In short, deficiencies in the investigation. The investigation by the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office. Neighbors told us that after initial interviews with detectives, there was little to no follow-up. Like Crystal, who says she told them puzzling details about the crime scene, such as the white powder on the floor and around the vents. I said, there's this white stuff coming, like floating in the air in their apartment because it's all over my shoes. I said, that's not normal. And they dismissed it, I believe. He didn't write it down. Crystal also told investigators about the mystery woman who showed up at the crime scene before first responders arrived. 
Against Crystal's warnings, the woman walked to the bedroom and upon seeing the bodies, showed little emotional reaction. Crystal says police dismissed this woman as a family friend. We later ID'd this woman as the same person Sasi mentioned in her letter to her family, Deepa Ajit, who Sasi said was having an affair with Hanu. Deepa also appears to be the woman who Hanu picked up every morning before work and the one who helped him clean out the apartment following the murder. Was she ever investigated? We don't know. And then there's Thurman, the neighbor who witnessed the Nara family dynamics. He says he tried to share information with police, but they weren't interested in hearing it. Every day, 5 o'clock, you would hear him down there screaming. It was always in their language. I don't speak their language, but you could tell it was not nothing nice. And then there's Craig, a major eyewitness who says police treated him like suspect number one. He said he saw someone go into the Nara's house the afternoon of the murders, and that he recognized this someone as a man who Hanu regularly spent time with. Craig eventually agreed to work with a police sketch artist to help ID this man. But then, Craig says, law enforcement didn't follow up. The sketch never got made. And there's one other oddity Craig said he reported that day. He says that Hanu was home for a full 10 to 15 minutes before he came outside his apartment and began yelling, reacting, to the violent scene inside. What took so long? Burlington County has told us many times, and in many ways, that the Nara case is an open and active investigation. But they won't tell us what they're actually doing to solve it. And during our only in-person meeting with investigators, they seemed surprised we decided to focus on the Nara case at all. I'm curious how this uh, got on your radar in the first place. Well, so um, we primarily yeah, thank do you. look into cold cases mm-hmm. and... Nobody would rather try and find Margaret Fox? <laughs> I don't know Margaret Fox. It's a missing persons case. In fact, it's a high-profile cold case about a 14-year-old named Margaret Fox who went missing in Burlington County in 1974. Fox is white, and her case has been investigated on and off for nearly 50 years. Don't Sassy and Anish deserve the same attention? They're probably still there, Fox Metal stuff there, just circling around, trying to figure out the day that case gets solved so they can get lifted to heaven or whatever. The mom probably like, this motherfucker about to get away with the murder. And, you know, it's sad. At the end of our investigation, we did receive one additional statement from the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office. After we emailed them our fact check memo and again invited them to comment on any part of this case, they sent us the following statement. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Quote, The information presented for our review was grossly inaccurate. Protecting the integrity of this ongoing investigation is paramount as we work to bring justice for the victims. As such, we are not at liberty to discuss the factual errors in your reporting at this time. Unquote. In other words, it's all grossly inaccurate, they say, but they also won't point out a single factual mistake. 
So no comment six years ago when this investigation started and reporters wanted to know what was being done. No comment when we first reached out and they told us this investigation was open and active. And even with all the new information we found, all the potential leads and witnesses we've interviewed, no comment again today. While no criminal charges have been filed against anyone in relation to this case, the civil proceedings over the rights to Sussie's estate have taken a surprising turn. Judge Dow, the New Jersey Superior Court judge overseeing the lawsuit between Hanu and Sussie's family, has decided not to enforce the current settlement, which would have earmarked 70% of Sussie's $1.2 million estate for Hanu and 30% for Sussie's mom. So it's back to the drawing board for both parties. They must continue negotiations until they can agree and finalize a settlement. Or the judge can decide to order a civil trial instead, in which case the Slayer statute would take center stage, and Hanu's liability as it relates to the murders of Sassi and Anish would be fair game. Attorneys on both sides could present their case. This would open the door to all types of potential evidence being introduced on the record and in open court. Hanu's fight for Sussie's estate seems to be one of his few remaining connections to Burlington County. He's living a brand new life, far away from Maple Shade and far different than Fox Meadow. He no longer shares a small one-bedroom apartment with his wife and son, where they lived together for nine years, in a neighborhood that's chaotic and crime-ridden. Hanu's new home in Parker, Colorado is palatial compared to his old one. It's full of big and brand new things, shiny appliances, carpets without stains. In fact, his entire neighborhood looks how a new car smells. Hanu bought his house in 2020 for about $600,000, and it's already appreciated in value by nearly $200,000. It's crisply painted, well-maintained with a neatly manicured front lawn. Meanwhile, Back in Mapleshade, Anisha's memorial garden, lovingly built by teachers and friends, often goes untended. And the school it was built on is now closed. It just feels so weird because you see it just slowly, like, fading away. This is one of Anisha's classmates. Every time I see that, it just hurts a little. And if I could, like, I, I would want to, like, fix it back up, but we just don't. It's difficult to look at Hanu's new life and not think about Sassi and Anisha's absence from it. The future they'll never get to live. I just feel sad that there's not any answers because there's no pressure to keep the case going. That's how I feel. This is Anisha's teacher, Kelly Canavan. When you contact me, I was so happy to just hear his name and just that someone cares enough to talk about it, you know, because it feels like it just uh, slipped through the cracks almost, and it shouldn't. Sassy never got the chance to buy that house in America like she wanted. Anisha's plans were cut short too. No medical school like his mom had hoped, no middle school for that matter. And based on everything we've learned about him, there were nothing but opportunities ahead. 
Here's Anish again, reciting his poem, Dreams. If you believe you can achieve, if you work hard enough, their results will come. Stay focused, stay true, stay positive, big, dream big. There is no statute of limitations on homicide. There is still a $25,000 reward on the table for information related to this case. And someone out there knows something. Now's the time to speak up. If you have any information related to the murders of Sasikala and Anish Nara, please go to our website, strangelandpodcast.com, where you can find our tip line and email address. You can also reach the Burlington County Prosecutor's Office at 609-265-5035. We'll put that number and a few others from their office up at strangelandpodcast.com. Any new leads could bring new life to this case. This has been Strangeland Season 2, Murder in Mapleshade. I'm Ben Adair. And I'm Tinku Ray. Strangeland is an audio Chuck original, produced by Western Sound, hosted by me, Tinku Ray, and Ben Adair. Strangeland is created by Ben Adair. Executive producers are Ashley Flowers and Delia DeAmbra for audio Chuck and me, Ben Adair, for Western Sound. Strangeland Season 2, Murder in Mapleshade, was written by Betsy Shepard and Haley Fox. Betsy was our lead reporter and producer. Haley's our showrunner. Original composition and sound design by Alex McGinnis. The Season 2 production team includes Sarah Dealey, Sabrina Fang, Savannah Wright, Nicole McNulty, Stella Hartman, and Colin McNulty. Lots more about our investigation, including photos from the story and behind-the-scenes content at our website, strangelandpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram at strangelandpod, all one word. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.